This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about uh, blue muscles. Mm. Mm-hmm. The craving is real, for sure. Oh, it is. Oh, absolutely. And actually, yeah. th- this is a topic that I suggested because I had just had some very good muscles, and I was like, let's talk more about muscles. Oh, jealous. <laughs> I wondered if you suggested it because we recently, the the joyous nerds that we are, got our D&D crew together, oh. saw the movie, mm. and went to a restaurant where a bunch of people were ordering muscles mm-hmm. um and i yeah i've been craving them <laughs> i've been craving i have a friend who i love this about him he always orders muscles i don't care okay. what like the situation is if muscles are on the menu that is what <laughs> he orders. What's yeah. it could be literally like i don't think we have time to, for you to do this doesn't matter. No. All <laughs> right. Muscles are happening. Aww. Oh, that's delightful, I, I, though. It, it's actually really endearing. I really love <laughs> it. Um, I I do love muscles, but I also, every time I have them, I realize how much I love, like, buttery, savory sauces soaked uh-huh. in, like, bread. Yeah. Soaking up those sauces and, and the muscles. The whole thing. The just... whole thing is lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh... It's just a perfect little bite. It's they're just very tasty little creatures, mm-hmm. and they do soak up the flavor very well. They flavor do. Of things. Nice yeah. white wine sauce in there. Oh, oh my gosh! Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> they're also fascinating. I can't wait to talk about them. Hoofda, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can see our other episodes on similar seafood things like oysters and scallops. I think would be good. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Maybe uh, the the big big seafood industry, big fish industry episode. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even escargot, which we'll yeah. talk about a little bit. Okay, sure. Um, yes. Well, I guess that brings us to our question. Sure. Blue mussels. 
What are they? Well, uh, blue mussels are a type of marine mollusk with a, a hinged two-piece shell. Um, that the, the shell is commonly blue-black in color. Hence the name blue mussels. They are often served in that shell, uh, as most of the shells will naturally pop open when they're cooked, and the the edible bit inside will at least partially loosen from the shell. At which point, yeah, they'll they'll contain just a small bite of meat that's that's tender and slightly sweet and slightly briny and savory. Uh, they can be roasted or steamed, and they're often served in a broth or stew of some kind that can be sipped or sopped up with bread. They're like, um, they're like if a pistachio was a seafood. Uh, they're like, 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 like a lot of shellfish kind of resists being eaten. Uh, like crabs, for example, do not want you to consume them. They're kind of mad about it. But I feel like mussels are like, oh, please go ahead. I come in my own serving tray. Here you go. Um, they're just right. They're just a perfect little bite. Mm. Yes, they are. Oh. And pistachios. <laughs> That's perfect comparison, Lauren. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and okay, like, heck, but biology is weird. Um, I, I was originally going to say, heck, but shellfish are weird. But, like, look at us. Like, we have toes. What What's that about? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but blue mussels. All right. So... There are at least three species in the genus um, Mytilus that are referred to as blue mussels as opposed to green mussels or other various kinds of mussels. Uh, they, they are filter-feeding bivalves that grow in shallow seawater, like uh, coastal areas with, with uh, temperate to cold climates. Their shells are sort of teardrop-shaped and will be black to blue-black to brownish on the outside and white and pearly on the inside. They're they're generally harvested when they're about two to four inches long, but can grow up to about twice that size. And they they keep their shells closed or mostly closed with this um strong cylindrical muscle that is not part of what you're eating usually. Mm. Mm-hmm. As adults, they are mostly sedentary. They they sort of lock into place on the sea floor or or other available stuff like uh, like ropes that mussel farmers might put out in the water or even the bottom of uh, ships or other human structures. Though they can they can move around if they need to because to lock in, they create these adhesive strings that are called uh, bissel threads. And if you've ever seen on a mussel shell or, or heard about a mussel's beard. That's that's what we're talking about. And it's not like a full Santa Claus beard. It's a little bit wispy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, from their latched on spot, though, they, they eat by filtering water through their shells and pulling out a plankton and other microorganisms, little bits of tasty stuff that are floating in the water. And in these ways, uh, they're they're actually really great for marine ecosystems because they they help keep the water clean through that filtration, and they can they can build up like a pretty serious uh, bed or, or colony of shells and threads and uh, uh, silt and mud that'll shelter coasts from rough water and also provide habitat for other sea creatures. Because they will also take in pollutants like microplastics, they are also useful for uh, studying pollution in waterways, and more on that throughout. Mm-hmm. But sort of a life cycle, okay, um, uh, adults will spawn during the spring and summer. That is, uh, uh, males release sperm and females release eggs out into the water. And if they meet under the right conditions, 
a larva will begin to develop. And I say a larva, but females release like 50 million to 200 million eggs um, in a single go. So so it's almost certainly going to be plural larvae. Um, and these are also called seed or spat in the fishing industry. Lots of them will get eaten by other larger marine life. But if they make it, they'll they'll develop just free swimming for a couple of weeks and then metamorphize a couple of times and will be ready to settle in around other blue mussels and start growing their protective shell. In nature, they'll do this on the sea floor, but in aquaculture, you can um, encourage them to lock in on a bunch of different kinds of substrates, mostly various forms of rope setups. And for the next two or three years, they'll, they'll grow and mature. Uh, they, they grow their shells in concentric layers from, from the inside out. So on the outside, you might see little ridges or rings that represent different previous sizes of the animal's shell. They're harvested in the winter months when they're um, putting their resources towards bulking up to survive the cold rather than towards spawning. Also useful for for winter harvesting, uh, some microbes that can cause food poisoning in us are less active or less populous during the winter. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to the point that we are ostensibly a food show. Um, (laughs) So uh, the meat of blue mussels will be like yellow to orange in color. And when cooked, it, it... firms up into a sort of little oblong uh, ball sort of shape and uh, mostly separates off from the shell. And you can roast or steam or boil them right in their shells uh, and serve them like that in a, in a broth or stew. Maybe you, you stuff them with breadcrumbs or other tasty things, and they'll be tender and meaty, like not very chewy, uh, savory, sweet, briny. And they're fairly delicate in flavor, so they can go well with either like a really delicate kind of sauce or a really strong kind of sauce, like anything from like a nice bright white wine and butter thing to like a beer and onion thing to like a garlic and tomato thing. Or you could, you know, just split them open and pass them under a broiler, fill them with cheese. Yeah. 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 Whatever you want. Anything you like. I want all of it. Right? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so good. (laughs) All right. We're adding like a full muscle course to our. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. Um, Well, what about the nutrition? They're a good source of protein and uh, and have a little bit of a a good fats to them. Some of those omega threes that you hear about. Um, Good source of minerals. You know, your final nutrition mileage may vary based on your, like, muscle-to-butter ratio. Um, Eat a vegetable. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Well, we do have some numbers for you. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One number I found valued the global blue mussel aquaculture industry at $1.5 billion. Billion dollars Mm -hmm. a year. Yeah, yeah. The the overall... Uh, muscle industry is like four times that or something, something to that extent, like three to four times that, which is why I cut us down to just blue mussels for today. Yeah. Ah. (laughs) Um, And as of 2016, anyway, the United States alone was producing about $10 million worth of mussels a year, which was equal to some 894,000 pounds. Hoof. Mm -hmm. Hoof. (laughs) There are a number of uh, mussel festivals in places that harvest them with activities like chowder tastings and aquaculture tours. Oh. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, some, of the, some of the contraptions that they come up with for, um, for 
getting the muscles to grow on on these suspended rope and kind of cage situations are really beautiful and fascinating. Um, mm. And I've seen I've seen a few uh, larger constructions that incorporate that kind of structure with also um, growth for for seaweed um, and also uh. growth for stuff like a steelhead trout. So really fascinating. Ooh, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, a single muscle can filter about 15 gallons of water a day. Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of related, more than 50 countries have data collected from mussels to monitor the quality of seawater. Uh, and some of these countries have uninterrupted data starting from like the 1960s. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And we are going to be talking more about that because fascinating history behind it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, which speaking of, we do have a lot of history for you. Oh, we do. And we're going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, as we've discussed in episodes about oysters and things like that, mussels are very old. 
Mm-hmm. For a long time. As, Ancestors. As a, as a creature, <laughs> they have been around for a while. Mm-hmm. They have. And humans have been eating them for a while, especially along the northern Atlantic, the Mediterranean, and the North and South Baltic Seas. People have been harvesting them and consuming mussels uh, for thousands of years. Indigenous North Americans use them for food and supplies. Um Blue mussel shells dating back to at least 6,000 BCE have been discovered in kitchen middens. So, long time. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, most most of the time they were harvested from wild beds, especially in Europe, which is where a lot of this information I was able to find came from. Um, and people, yeah, they not only ate them, but they also used them as bait uh, to catch fish and also fertilizer. Huh. And I had never heard of this. But they also used the threads, that beard that you talked about, Lauren, um, from like really large blue mussels. They would collect it. They would dry it. They would spin it to make something that they called sea silk. Whoa, what? That's so cool. (laughs) That sounds very tedious. (laughs) It sounds very tedious and also like something you'd read in a fantasy novel. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it was really, really strong, but it was also very fine and light. Like a lot of accounts described how easily it could be folded up um, and how easily it could be stored. Some sources suggest that ancient Greek and Roman emperors may have worn robes or cloaks that were made out Mm. of sea silk. And perhaps even King Tutankhamun may have worn sea silk garments. Um, Other sources allege that it was mentioned on the Rosetta Stone, um, that perhaps it was the fabric of the cloth that God instructed Moses to lay on the first altar. A lot, a lot going on with it. However, it's really not commonly made anymore. It wasn't really back then either. But in 2015, the BBC reported on Yara Vigo, the last woman who makes sea silk, um, and it was a really, really fascinating, fascinating article. Um, she lives in Sardinia, and in in spring she would go out on about three hundred to four hundred dives, accompanied by the local coast guard because the mussels there are a protected species. And she did all of this to collect about two hundred grams of these threads, uh, all without harming the blue mussels. She doesn't sell what she makes, but she gives it away to those who, who need help. She told the BBC in this article, it would be like commercializing the flight of an eagle. The byssus is the soul of the sea. It is sacred. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, Vigo claimed that Harad, the great's great-granddaughter, Princess Berenice, brought the tradition of sea silk to the region in the first century CE because there was a lot of like... How did this tradition start? How did it get tied up with, with religion and how her history, um, her understanding of how this got passed down through her family? Um, until Mussolini came onto the scene, several Italian women did work with these threads and some even tried to make a business out of it, but it just never worked. It was like basically too complicated. <laughs> I can see why. Yes. 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 But I had never heard of that. That's really interesting. Um, listeners, as always, oh, if you yeah. have any more information about that or any experience. Yeah, or if it has been written into some kind of fantasy story that I have missed. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Please let us know. Um, but let us come back to the main outline. Yes. Uh, the <laughs> Picius included two recipes for mussels. Uh, records suggest that the French were some of the first to farm mussels in the 13th century. 
And to do so, they implanted these wooden poles called bouchot and estuary mud, and the mussels would grow alongside the, the poles. Um, a popular legend credits a shipwrecked Irishman named Patrick Walton for coming up with this idea. Um, as legend has it, he found himself washed up in the Bay of Aiguillon in the early 13th century after fleeing Ireland rather quickly due to some legal trouble he mm -hmm. was in. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, he was in need of sustenance to survive. So using what he had on hand and what he could scrounge up, he erected some wooden poles in the mud with a net stretched between them with the idea that he would catch migrating birds. Uh, and it sounds like he didn't have the best luck with that, but he did notice that mussels were growing and flattening alongside the wooden poles. So soon enough, he, he pivoted from trying to catch these migrating seabirds to growing mussels uh, along the poles, um, and he erected more and more of them to do so. And the technique was adopted throughout the French Atlantic coastline and is still in use in some areas to this day, though with some improvements, <laughs> perhaps obviously. But other people say he was not the first cultivator of mussels in Europe by a long shot and that, uh -huh. they, were <laughs> that they were cultivated in Italy as far back as 500 BCE when people would use bundles of sticks uh, or rope um, lowered into water for the mussels to, to grow on. Two other methods originated nearby. I couldn't find as much information as I wanted to about them. But mm -hmm. uh, in Spain, people figured out how to grow mussels on long, heavy ropes, while in Northern Europe, they realized they could grow mussels on bottom culture plots. So people were invested and interested in learning how to get more mussels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um 15th century cookbooks out of France contained recipes for mussels. Um, they were typically steamed and seasoned, spiced, buttered. They were recommended in stews as well as all kinds of things, really. It was really interesting. But I did get the vibe. I don't know if you got this vibe, Lauren. <laughs> that they were seen as the poor man's oyster or even a replacement for escargot if you couldn't get it. Like... Not necessarily looked down upon. Um, in some instances, people were really saying, like, y'all are missing out not eating these. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But seen as not as good or just not as well known. Maybe like a second class protein. Yeah. Sort of like, like well, like there are these sort of fancier ones. And mm -hmm. this one is a little bit more common. Um, not right. Right. Not necessarily like, oh, common. Um, but right. uh, but just, you know. It it was I don't feel like I've come across the way that they were written about so often in these episodes because normally it's like oh this is a rich person thing or or not <laughs> but this yeah it was much more kind of like no it's really good and we should all be eating it but also it's not as good as an oyster. yeah <laughs> it's certainly I hadn't I, I haven't come across the kind of like waxing poetic about muscles yeah. the way that I have about some other food products so yes. Yes. Um, I just thought that was interesting. And this brings us to this, which is also fascinating. Um, records show that blue mussels were one of the first organisms studied basically to get a read on the environmental health of seawater going back as far as 1886. Wow. Huh. 
Yeah. Um, and the 19th century is also when overfishing of blue mussels became a real concern. Um, a part of this was the growing practice of renting mussel culture plots that led to the depletion of natural beds. So just kind of mucking about with the environment of them. Mm-hmm. Though mussels were available in North America, non-Native Americans pretty much ignored them as a food source until the 20th century Apparently, a part of this had to do with fears around getting sick from eating them. Um, With the price of clams rising, though, and exposure to different dishes, using mussels that came with influxes of immigrants, producers made a concerted effort to make mussels more mainstream in the U.S., which seems to have paid off. It did not come without consequences, but (laughs) it seems Uh to have paid off. Yeah. Uh, in the 1970s, muscle fishing technology improved, especially around suspended rope long lines. That same decade, hatchery-produced seeds were used in China for the first time. Back on the environmental side, uh, in 1975, um, uh, the, the Muscle Watch, as like an official way of monitoring global oceanic ecosystems, was proposed. Um Though, though, yeah, note that this does involve many species of mussels, not just blue mussels. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. And then jumping way ahead, uh, in 2006, researchers out of the University of New Hampshire discovered that the local blue mussel had evolved new defense mechanisms to combat an invasive predator, the Asian shore crab, in only 15 years. Hmm. Um, so when this species of crab invaded the east coast of the U.S., they were more aggressive and stronger than a lot of the predators the local blue mussel population had faced, so they didn't really have a way to defend themselves against these crabs. However, they evolved so that when they detect the presence of a crab, they grow a thicker shell in a few months, which makes it harder for the crab to crack it open and eat them. Um, This whole thing made headlines because typically... Evolving like that takes way longer, like way, way, way longer (laughs) than Uh that. And it's so interesting. I really recommend the whole article about how they were able to test this. And also just the the defense mechanism is very interesting. It's like a chemical that the muscle picks up on in the water. And it's like, uh uh-oh. And it's like, oh, no. (laughs) Crap. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's like the, the energy from procreating goes into making the crab thicker. It's really, I mean, the crab thicker, it goes into making the shell thicker. So it's really, really interesting. Um, huh. Yeah. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Um, according to a 2016 report, the wild blue mussel population along the Gulf Coast line, which in this case, because I'm from the South, I was like, what? No, in this case, <laughs> it means Cape Cod to the Canadian border, um, has declined by 60%. On top of that, uh, these mussels now cover less than 15% of the intertidal zone compared to the two-thirds that they used to cover. Um, Researchers believe that this is due to the warming climate and over-harvesting. Ocean acidification uh, is also weakening those bissel threads, uh, which means they can't hold on. Yeah. Uh, They can't stay lodged. As, as well as they used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is a bunch of research into into those Bissell threads, A, for like materials science, because the the way that they're constructed is really fascinating. It's it's like a really, uh, it, it's a really complex 
scaffolding of, of proteins and this and this glue that necessarily works underwater. So it's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Another cool thing: research has shown that that these Bissell threads collect metals from the water, um, like hypothetically to strengthen them, themselves. Makes sense, but it's possible that scientists could collect Bissell threads that, that are either a byproduct of the seafood industry or or just of natural populations and use them to purify metal polluted water. Oh, that is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 muscles. Oh, muscles. <laughs> I did not know that we would spend as much of this episode talking about muscle beards as, Me as we have to. <laughs> Me either. But I've loved it. I've loved it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yes. Well, I think that's what we have to say about blue muscles for now. It is. It is. Uh, we would love to hear from you, though. And speaking of, we do have some listener mail for you. And we will get into that after we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with the snow. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, muscles. <laughs> I 
tried to get to the bottom of the etymology and then I got so confused. Um, <laughs> I so. didn't even look. Okay. All right. There, yeah. There is some theory that it has to do with like muscle. Muscles. Like musculature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But it sounded like no one was too sure about all it. All right. Well, so. I'll, I'll see if I can look into it and maybe provide an update. Yes. Oh, please. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. um, Mike wrote, Catching up on some recent episodes, and I just finished listening to the Sherry episode, and I knew I had to write in. My wife and I live near the Finger Lakes wine region here in central New York and frequent the area very often. And one of our favorite wineries, Ravine's Wine Cellars, actually produces a Sherry-style fortified dry wine. (laughs) We fell in love with it as a nightcap type of drink, enjoyed neat, just a few years ago when Ravine's released their inaugural vintage of it. The winery fittingly calls it floor (laughs) yeah yeah and it's always a fun one to share with newcomers to the style when we have guests over at our place if we happen to have it on hand i also always get a good laugh watching the faces of unsuspecting visitors at the winery when they choose the floor as part of their tasting and clearly had no clue what they were getting themselves into Now that Ravines just recently released their second vintage of Floor, I'm super curious about trying it as a substitute for whiskey in an old-fashioned or Manhattan-style cocktail, Hmm. which are typically my go-tos after listening to the episode. Thanks for all the nerding out and deep dives you continue to do. We love the episodes, and it's always been a great mini-escape from real life for us to enjoy. Hmm. P.S. I'd be remiss not to link to the floor on Ravine's website, as the bottle only costs $30 in case you'd like to try. Even better, my admittedly biased opinion is that you should absolutely come visit in the Finger Lakes region in the future. Incredible food and beverage scene with a primary focus on all local ingredients and sourcing as true to farm to table as anywhere in the country. And beautifully moderate temperatures during the late spring through early autumn. Well worth the trip. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, agreed. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, sounds We're sold. great. That, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've been craving like a some nice weather. We've had really our weather in uh, Atlanta has been bouncing all over the place. Is what I'll say. It um, that is true, as Atlanta is wont to do. Um, mm-hmm. But the past couple days, for sure, have been just aggressively gorgeous. Just yes. very nice. Just mm-hmm. sunny and like and like cool without being cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's making me again. I've been I've been craving fresh seafood for a while. Enjoyed mm-hmm. outside with a yeah. glass of wine or something. That's mm-hmm. I need that in my life soon. So Yeah. Oh, and I bet that like a nice dry white sherry would be so good with mussels. Yes. Oh my gosh. Ooh, and in like the sauce. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. All no. right. All right. Goals. Um. Uh, <laughs> uh, Arik wrote, listened to the Bach episode this morning and loved it. The puns were amazing. So many good ones. And yeast poop. Anyway, it brought back memories. Bachs are great, but as you mentioned, you don't see them all that often. I looked at my untapped list and I've only had 19 out of the 1,350-plus unique I've checked in. Uh, don't worry. Drink responsibly. That number is over nine years. Um, uh, Nine-plus nine years. Also, I like to do tasting flights. Now I'm going to be on a search for more box. They can be wonderfully bready at times and are definitely an enjoyable drink. Also, love how Lauren keeps giving the DM ideas. Can't wait to hear how that turns out. <laughs> Oh, oh no. I can't wait either. No, dear. 
Oh, I can't <laughs> wait either. I have like the the long con is finally coming. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh no. I... It's all based on something you said. Oh no. Perhaps years no. ago. <laughs> I look I okay I I know I know that it's collaborative storytelling that we are doing together that Mm -hmm. it's not truly you versus us but sometimes it's you versus us and (laughs) and I and you are a very kind and gentle dm and I don't think that you're going to do anything you're not going to like perm the party like you're not going to kill us all horribly or anything like that um unless we do something very 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 silly mm-hmm. um but uh <laughs> but I also fear and I think rightfully because I understand the kind of stories that you tell <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they really go places <laughs> they certainly do <laughs> Oh, we're going places, Lauren. I cannot wait. Oh, oh my God. cool. Yes. Cool, cool, cool. Well, um. and also related, <laughs> I do try to do related, like, themed beers to yeah. whatever session we're doing. And I was looking the other day for whenever we, we get to play next. But I was looking for box. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I could really only find, like, two or three. Hmm. So, and that was at, like, a specialty store yeah uh, not just like a grocery store so it is kind of I did not have as much success as I thought I was going to have but Mm. um sometimes yeah yeah they can be a little bit hidden away but also right yeah they're they're just a less popular style than many others uh certainly when I was talking to one of my beer friends about the Bach episode uh he was like well we should just go to brick store in Decatur, it's brick store being, if you have not heard of it, I assume that everyone in the country who's into beer has because it's typically listed like at the top of beer bars in the country. Um, but yeah, they, he was like, oh, yeah, they have this one and this one and this one over there. So we can go. Um. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. I, I will say a lot of, of you listeners have written in about Box. So it, it struck a chord. Um, Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So keep those keep those messages coming. Any recommendations? Keep those coming. If you have mussel recipes. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I've never cooked mussels myself. No, I don't think I have either. And I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's yes. go. Yes. Please let <laughs> us know. You can email us. Uh, thanks to both of these listeners who already did, but mm-hmm. you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.